Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 26. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 19. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God, I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation, from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us, as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he, has, as he promised. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This morning's message is titled, Generous Obedience. 
generous obedience. Last October, before we were even stateside as a family, we started preaching as a church through the book of Deuteronomy. And by mid-July this year, this summer, we made it to chapter 12. Chapter 12. And chapters 12 through 26, where we are this morning, is a section that contains laws about everyday life, laws about civil life and laws about worshiping God. And this included instructions, although it is definitely not uh, exclusive to this, laws about worship, idolatry, clean and unclean foods, tithes, feasts, leaders, sexual morality, and marriage. And then today, we will consider how Moses will close this section, how he will close this public address that he has been giving to Israel all the way from chapter 12 to this morning. And what we will see is that an unreserved response of worship to God's goodness will be made manifest through our eager thanksgiving, diligent generosity, and enthusiastic obedience. But before we dive into that, I think it's important for us to remember that what Moses has been instructing Israel was not just for their time in the desert. It's not just the here and the now. He was very much giving them specific covenant stipulations for what they were to go and do and live out in Canaan. Israel's arrival in the promised land was not the ultimate end game. These specific covenant stipulations uh, would be required of them and would help them not to forget God's faithfulness in the past, help them not to forget how to live among their neighbors, Israelites and non-Israelites alike in the present, and would keep them from falling into temptation, especially idolatry in the future. God intended these laws as a means of holy living and to remind Israel of her daily need for dependence upon him. So this morning we will see this happen as Moses highlights for us our response to God's faithfulness. And so the first point is eager thanksgiving, and this will cover verses 1 through 11. I, I titled this first point, Eager Thanksgiving, because it's not just giving thanks as in Jesus has been our partner in this, so I guess we better say thank you. No, it is eager, joy-filled, worship-oriented thanksgiving, because the Israelites were recognizing that any good and any increase that they have is from the hand of an almighty God who has shown himself true to his promises by bringing them into this good and bountiful land. And so as I mentioned ago, a moment ago, Moses has been teaching these specific covenant stipulations, chapters 12 to 26, for how Israel are to live, how they are to conduct themselves. And he begins by addressing the how of thanksgiving. How does God expect you to express eager thanksgiving in response for his covenant faithfulness? By bringing the very first fruits, the first of the, the crops that are yielded when you have taken possession of the land. And we are to bring that to the Lord as an offering. 
And they were not only to bring these first fruits as an offering, and they were to come and express something very specific. When they brought this offering, they were to say the following to the priest. And you can look at verse 3 with me. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And by coming and acknowledging this very specific reality, they were bringing their first fruits to God as an acknowledgement that God has been faithful to his promises. This at the same time disarmed Israel of any notion, any temptation that the fruits of the land are because of anything they have done. No, God has done what he has promised to do for Israel generations earlier. The first fruits offering then becomes eager thanksgiving to the one who has done great things for us. That is the how. The second part is closely related to the how. It's the why. Why are they to bring the first fruits? And I think it's important for us to understand that by bringing first fruits to the priest and saying, I declare today to the Lord your God that I've come into the land that he swore to our fathers to give us, they are declaring that God has done it all. It's not like this was a team effort, so let's go ahead and express a bit of gratitude for, to God for his contribution. Again, no, he has done it all. He is bringing you into this land. He has promised this land. He has prepared this land. He has distributed and apportioned this land, a land yielding increase for which you did not labor and as a sign that you understand and proclaim this, bring the first fruits as eager thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, for us, this means that our worship, our expressing eager thanksgiving cannot look like saying, thanks for getting me over the goal line, Jesus. I got the ball 99 yards up the field. We're fourth and goal. You guys see that I've been listening to NFL. Uh, I don't know what that means. Um, but I think it means you're close. We got it up here, Jesus, but when we were down and we had three seconds on the clock, you really got us over that golden line, so thank you. No, that is not how we are to bring our thanksgiving, our eager thanksgiving. Now, does God hold us accountable for our actions? Absolutely. And are we expected to act in obedience again? Absolutely. We have a part to play. But whatever God does and accomplishes, he does according to the counsel of his will. For our good and for his glory. All the glory is his, Israel. So bring the first fruits in acknowledgement of this. If you can imagine with me being an Israelite who has been wandering through the desert for 40 years, eating manna that the Lord provided, you've not owned land, so you've not been cultivating land, 
And now God says that he's bringing you into a land that is bountiful. According to verse 15, flows with milk and honey. And not only overflows with milk and honey, but there will be trees and, and, and you will be reaping crops for which you did not labor. Later in Joshua 24, 13, God would speak by Joshua and say, I gave you a land in which you had not labored. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So bring the first fruits with eager thanksgiving. It's all his. God was requiring the first fruits offering as both acknowledgement from Israel that the very increase they are seeing is not their doing, but rather belongs to God. And secondly, as a reminder of their ongoing need to be thankful for all the fruit and all the increase that will come from the vineyards and orchards that they did not even plant. So don't be tempted to think our success has been according to our bravery or our tactical skills in warfare. It, it, it kind of brings remind to, to mind something Matthew said last week when, when Matthew said, Brothers and sisters, the money in our checking, savings, retirement, investment accounts is not ultimately ours. It's the Lord's. And Moses is continuing along that same vein as he did in chapter 25 by reminding Israel that all they have, not only the first fruits, are the Lord's. Therefore, let us bring it with eager thanksgiving, eager acknowledgement that God has been so so good to us. If, 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 if you are all like me, we can often be tempted to think that when we bring to the Lord our first fruits, our offering, that we are somehow being very obedient and kind to offer to the Lord some of what really is our own. We have worked the ground. We've put in the time to learn a skill or trade. We've applied that skill or trade. And now we, from the generosity of our hearts, are bringing to the Lord as a sign of our goodwill towards him something that he can use in whichever he desires. But God, this is really important, not not that one, this is the one you get. Leave this alone. This is for me. This is my just reward for my hard work. Brothers and sisters, this attitude misses the why of eager thanksgiving completely. That is, that is why the Israelite would say, a wandering Aramean was my father. And this, this refers all the way back to Jacob before they even went into Egypt. Egypt married the daughters of Laban, his uncle who was an Aramean. So as you bring your first fruits as a sign of thanksgiving... Begin by remembering as far back as your forefather Jacob and how he was a wandering man. Then remember how he went to Egypt and your people were few in number. Yet there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Then the Egyptians treated your people harshly and humiliated you and laid on you hard labor. Verse 
and how the Lord was gracious to you to multiply you. And then we get to respond. And behold, now, now after all you've done, God, I bring the first of the fruit of the ground to you, which you, O Lord, have given me. You, O Lord, have given it. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Our eager thanksgiving is worship of our creator and provider. It's the ultimate purpose when we bring any offering to God. Because naked we came into this world and naked we shall return. But an increase, any increase is the Lord's doing. Therefore, our offerings are to be eager thanksgiving. And this is really made so clear in verse 11. And you shall rejoice. Joy-filled, faith-filled, eager rejoicing in the tenth that you bring. In most of what you have. No. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. And note that part of this rejoicing is not only intended for the Israelite. It's for the Levite and the sojourner who is among them. Doug Bratt said, Israel has known what it's like to be homeless and vulnerable When she finds a home in the land of promise, Moses challenges her to continue to remember the refugees who live with her. Christian, hasn't God been so good to us? The Israelites were celebrating and worshiping and honoring and bringing with eager thanksgiving their first fruits because God has brought them into an earthly and may I add perishing earthly home. But we who are his have been promised an eternal, imperishable home because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How much more ought we to respond with eager thanksgiving for all he has done for us? And one of the ways that we get to respond to God with eager thanksgiving for all he has done is through our generosity for the advancement of the gospel to other believers and the sojourners among us who may not yet have had the opportunity to hear of God's fame and renown and what he has done for them on the cross, which brings us to the second point. Diligent generosity. Diligent generosity. In verses 1 through 11, Moses was addressing the Israelites concerning, concerning their first fruit offering uh, that they were to bring to the priest. He has fulfilled his promises. We are now seeing an increase as the people of Israel, so we bring that to the Lord. Now, for the first time, Moses uses the word tithe, which helps us to see that this is something new. This is something different than what he has just been speaking about. What is the purpose of the tithe? Now, before we go on, we 
have to just pause for a moment and consider that for Israel in the Old Testament, a tithe was formalized and regulated. Why? Because being under the Old Covenant, God had given them the law and they were to obey the law as God's covenant partners. This was their end of the bargain, so to speak. The perfect upholding of the law down to the last commandment was what they had to do. And this is the very reason they and we needed a savior. They failed time and time again, as we do to uphold God's commands. Israel couldn't uphold the, command, the commands of the Lord. Therefore, Jesus fulfilled the law for us and kept the law perfectly. And so as new covenant believers, that's us, we are no longer bound to the law in a covenantal way, but only as it has been fulfilled by Christ, specifically here, the law of tithing. So we don't need to give, Josh? And this is where Matthew's placed a lot of faith in the hands of someone who craves trouble. Um, we absolutely are still to give. The principle of giving to kingdom work remains as steadfast as ever, but we are no longer restricted by a law-bound, law-regulated 10%. James Petty says it this way, because you love God, the goal of your financial plan should be to maximize what you can give to kingdom work, to God's people, his mission, and the needy. And so when we ask questions like, how much should I give, pastor? I don't need to give more than 10%, right? That's not what you're saying. Do I give X percentage before or after taxes? Can I channel all my giving to my favorite nonprofit? These are all wrong questions. Rather today, God still requires of us to give diligently, carefully, specifically. But the requirement to give towards kingdom work in the New Testament is no longer regulated. Because we are not to give in an attempt to be faithful to covenantal obligations. Rather, we are to uphold biblical generosity as a response to Christ. A response to Jesus, the Son of the living God, the Most High, who laid down his life for you and me. He bled and died for us. And in response, not as repayment, not as an attempt to merit the free gift of grace held out, to all who would believe, but in response to the transforming grace of the gospel in our lives, we are invited to give to the work of gospel proclamation, first and foremost, but also as a means of care to those who are and may be in physical need. Doesn't that just change the landscape of our giving completely? It's, just, it's not just another box to tick. It's not just something that we have to do in order to make sure we stay in right standing. It is meant to be joyful, eager, faith-filled, and a response that overflows to the transforming power 
of the gospel. Now, I mentioned that our giving, our diligent generosity is to go first and foremost to the work of gospel proclamation. And gospel proclamation is nowhere more prominent than in and through the work of the local church. And secondarily, to bring physical relief to those in need. And we can see these priorities in verses 11, 12, and 13. But if you will, look with me at verse 12. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. And since we're no longer bound to a tithe, I will, for the remainder of the message, talk about our generosity. Where's our generosity to go first? Giving it to the Levite. Who does that represent in the New Testament? Pastors, shepherds, elders, overseers. Those who exercise and extend spiritual care towards God's people through the teaching, preaching, and application of God's word. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 reads, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it, is, when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So our giving is to go towards whichever local church the Lord has made you a part of. There where you are fed the word of God on a regular basis so that the word of God can continue to be administered there and could be expanded to all nations as missionaries and church planters are sent out all over to go and do the same and replicate that over and over again. That is what the Great Commission has commanded of us. But by God's grace, that is not the only place we are invited to give and be generous towards, albeit primary. Our giving is also intended to bring relief to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Our giving is to be an expression of thankfulness for all Christ has done for us. And we not only get to do this through giving to ongoing gospel proclamation in our church, we are also afforded the incredible opportunity and responsibility to share what God has entrusted to us with those who are in need. And for that reason, it needs to be careful, well-considered, prayerful, faith-filled giving. And now I have to pause and address you as a church. Giving faithfully towards the very things that God has called this particular church to is something that I believe you as a church are exemplary in. My family and I have been the beneficiaries as missionaries from afar, as residents who are near, because of your generous giving. And I hope that you are encouraged to know that your giving as a church is a constant and deep encouragement to the leadership 
of this church. You are an example to me, truly, as we start considering going back to Namibia. And my prayer is that God would grant a church plant in Vintok members who would have your heart towards giving to gospel proclamation and the needs of the saints and all who may be in need around us. Thank you for your example. So as you, Kingsway, do so well, our diligent generosity is to go first and foremost towards the work of gospel proclamation, but is also meant to be done with excellence and diligence. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning or removed any of it while I was unclean or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Do you hear the carefulness and specificness of their giving? They were to be painstakingly careful in how they gave so as to not transgress the command of the Lord. So when it says, I have not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning, what would that look like for us, church? Well, it could look like not giving in a cheerful manner. But God, God loves a cheerful giver. Or perhaps we look at the portion that reads, I have not removed any of it while I was unclean. What would it look like to give in an unclean manner? Maybe begrudgingly or reluctantly or under compulsion. This is neither God's plan nor desire for our giving. And so our generosity has to be diligent, careful, and intentional, yes, but at the same time, cheerful, eager, thankful, and grateful. And church, don't we, as a church, as people, don't we know all too well that this kind of giving is not something that just happens? Giving, generously giving, is not automatically up there next to our mortgage in terms of priority. But by God's grace, because of the transformation of the gospel in our own lives, even when it is our desire, it may not always be our plan. And so I believe the exhortation to us this morning is to plan. Our generous giving is not going to just happen To quote James Petty again, the quote from earlier, the goal of our financial plan should be to maximize what we can give to kingdom work. I'm sure you've all heard the quip, uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Well, this rings very true in our financial situations, especially as it pertains to giving. Brothers and sisters, God will lead us. He will lead us in our giving. If we ask him and trust him as to how and where we are to give. If we ask him, he will be faithful to show us what his plans are because God has very 
specific plans and intentions for what he has entrusted to us. And he will not leave us to guess what he wants us to do with what he has entrusted to us. And then before moving to the last point, let me add that God has promised to equip us for generosity. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God will not only show and give us faith for where to sow, he will supply the very seed we need to sow. So if you're here this morning and and you truly feel like your income at the moment just does not allow you to be generous, consider the fact that God is not necessarily after you to give as much as the person to your left or to your right, but rather to give according to your means. The poor widow, we all know the story, the poor widow from Luke 21 gave only two pennies, and Jesus said that she gave more than all the others, not because of the vastness of her giving, but because of a generous heart that gave sacrificially according to the means and according to the faith that the Lord had entrusted to her. And it is when we have this heart towards God, and we ha- when we have this mindset to the resources that God has trusted to us, that we can say with the Israelite in verse 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Israel, and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey, because it is with this heart that contributes and gives generously, carefully, specifically towards gospel proclamation and the needs of our neighbors, that God can bless us so that we in turn may be a blessing. And then finally, point number three, enthusiastic obedience. Enthusiastic obedience. As I mentioned at the outset of this morning's message, our scripture closes now in these verses, not only this morning's message, but it closes out everything that we've heard from July. It closes out chapter 12 to 26. And so Moses summarizes not only in these verses on first fruits and tithing, but really all the commands that he has been teaching to Israel up to this point. Moses almost shakes them out of their sitting where they've just been waiting and listening to him, giving lists and lists and lists of come on. And he goes, hey, are you ready to be obedient to all that you have been commanded? These laws and commands that I have been preaching are not meant to be an end in and of itself just by memorizing them or listening to them. They're not advisory. They're commands from God, the creator of heaven and earth himself. The question became whether they would be obedient. Will you be enthusiastically obedient to do all that God commanded you to do with all your heart and with all your soul? 
Read verses 16 and 17 with me. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. This very clearly and very abruptly pointed to the conclusion of Moses' address. Just listen to how it was bookended all the way back in chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1 read, These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. And by bookending these chapters in this way, Moses helps Israel to see clearly the closure of this section and reminds them that ultimately God has been the one addressing them. Although it has been Moses' voice that they've been hearing up to this point, speaking for 15 chapters, Moses makes it abundantly clear they have been hearing from God. The one who will bring them into this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, he's the one that's been addressing them. Do we hear that as a church, even this morning? Do we understand that the preaching and application that is preached on a Sunday morning from the pulpit is God addressing his church from his word? Do we see the preaching moment as God, through the preaching of his word, being kind to speak to us? to tell us about who he is and what he expects of us, how we are to live. He guides us and challenges us and motivates us and equips us for every good work. And by the way, did you know that that is why we as a church and why Sovereign Grace as a denomination are so passionate about preaching expository sermons through books of the Bible, verse by verse, start to finish, even if it takes us a year to get through a book. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 teaches us all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How are you equipped for every good work, Christian? By being addressed by the Word of God and then being enthusiastically obedient to do all that it commands us. That is the very God-given nature and God-given design of preaching to complete and equip us for good works that he has prepared for us. Praise be to God. So Moses helps Israel see that it has been God addressing them and acquiring enthusiastic obedience of them. And then a closing declaration, verses 18 and 19. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. And that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as 
he promised. Do you hear God speaking to you, Christian? Do you hear the pleasure of the Lord when you are obedient to worship him in the ways that he's prescribed for us from Deuteronomy 12? Do you hear the pleasure of the Lord when we fight against idolatry in the ways that the Lord prescribed in Deuteronomy 13? Do we hear the pleasure of the Lord when we practice justice, chapter 16? Uphold his faithfulness with our body, chapter 22. Remain pure, chapter 23. Guard the gospel in matters of divorce and remarriage, chapter 24. Because God has said that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. What a Amazing and fitting statement to finish this section of commands. What a promise that God, Yahweh, the great I am, sits on his righteous throne looking down at us, his handiwork, and promises that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. It's astounding to say the least and brothers and sisters for those who put their faith in jesus christ the only name by which we can be saved this is not just a hope we're holding out for the last three words say as he promised god has promised and guaranteed his favor on those who put their faith in jesus christ not because of our doing Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has accomplished for us by giving us his son a plan for the fullness of time. So may we, by God's grace, continue to grow in our unreserved response of worship to God's goodness through our eager thanksgiving, diligent generosity, and enthusiastic obedience. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, once again, you have been faithful to be so good to us in addressing us from your word. Lord, thank you that it does not hinge on us to be obedient, but that we can look to the obedience of Jesus Christ and that know that you will do all you have promised, Lord. You have guaranteed it. There's no greater guarantee than anything you guarantee, Lord. Our faith and our hope is in you. And Lord, I pray that when you help us to see that, it will be an overflowing response of thanksgiving and generosity and obedience. Not because of us, Lord but because you have shown us and given us Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen.